Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. Diana Francis is with us, comedy writer, performer. Well, what I learned from waitressing was that I really like making people happy. And what was the thing that I still kind of miss about waitressing is if you come in for the night, I like that I'm the one who's making or breaking your, your night a lot of the times. And it's what I like about comedy. What waitressing taught me was that do your job well. Don't bring your own problems to the table. You're responsible for other people's experience. So make it a good one. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? You will get so much further ahead than a lot of your counterparts just simply by getting back on email and doing what you say you're going to do. And you can still be creative, but still be able to return a phone call in a timely manner. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me is your co-host, Fred Keating. We are in Banff, Canada, standing outdoors on one of the decks at the Banff Springs Hotel. And why? Because we are at the Banff World Media Festival. Fred, who do we have as a guest this time? Diana Francis is with us. Comedy writer, performer. Diana, when did the writing performing bug first bite you? Oh, good question. You know what? I actually remember the first time I got my first laugh. I was in grade seven and we were doing a play called Cybernella, which was a modern version of Cinderella. And I was one of the ugly stepsisters. And my first line was about five minutes into the play and I was supposed to yell a line from off stage. And the girl who was playing Cinderella was on stage and she was very quiet and nobody could hear her. And I'm watching this backstage going, she's ruining this and why aren't I Cinderella? And so I decided that I would scream my line so that the audience could hear it. So it got a huge laugh because it was literally the first thing that they heard was, Cybernella, bring me my breakfast. Gets this huge laugh and it was just like, oh, I like this feeling. So that was sort of when I knew I wanted to be an actor. That's what I thought I was going to be, was an actor. And when did the writing for your own voice kind of creep in there? It took a while for that to happen. I went to theater school and then, because I thought I wanted to be an actor, like a serious actor, I never thought I was going to be in comedy. And then I didn't like acting. (laughs) I realized I didn't really, um, I didn't think I was a very good dramatic actor, but I stumbled into taking improv workshops at the Vancouver Theatre Sports League and I fell in love with that because that was that immediate satiation of a laugh Say something, immediate laugh. I really liked that. And I liked that you could be many different characters. I liked not having a script. I liked building it with people. So the first sort of way that I started making money in comedy was as an improviser at theater sports. Diana, a question that I like to ask our comedic writers and our comedians is, what's funny? It's a hard question to answer because it's different for everybody. Because comedy is a sense of humor, right? It's like things smell different to people things sound different to people with comedy. What's funny to me, what I really like is, I like really grounded comedy that has a really clear point of view. 
So there's nobody else who could do that sketch or who could write that story or who could uh, do that character because it's your point of view. It's a way that you look at the world that is so unique. I really like that kind of comedy like Louis C.K. or Jerry Seinfeld or Amy Schumer <laughs> or any of the Amys. All the Amys are great. What exactly are you working on now, Diana? Well, I got really lucky. I just finished a program called the Canadian Film Centre Primetime Television Writing Program that really fast tracks writers into writing scripted television in Canada. So I just finished that and um, I have had some great opportunities to work in a couple of other people's projects that are in development where I just get to drop in and add some jokes and say, hey, what about this storyline? There's a couple of other things that I'm hoping to get hired for in the summer, just waiting to hear. Uh, and I'm also rewriting some of my own content. Um, the script that I got into the program with is a one-hour dramedy that was based on my life with adoption. And so I'm looking forward to rewriting that now with everything that I have learned from the program. Tell us about The Irrelevant Show. And I write sketch comedy for The Irrelevant Show on CBC Radio, which is one of the coolest, most fun jobs ever because I get to be in Toronto or wherever. I will have a conference call with the executive producer, Peter Brown. And what I love about this is he never wants you to come in with like a fully formed sketch. Going back to what I was talking to about point of view, he'll just go like, what are the things that you saw this week? Or like, what are the things that you think are weird? You can just come in with an idea like, have you ever noticed that cilantro really polarizes people? Like, people either love it or hate it. And then we end up building a sketch together about something like that. I love working on that show. And what have you learned about writing comedy for radio? Because, I mean, obviously, you don't have the visual medium to work with here. It's a real learning curve to figure it out because you have to just take all the visuals out of it. It's sometimes really clunky if you want to set it in a location that would be a visual joke. You can't do that. You have to find a way around it because it's theater of the mind. So you really have to imagine it in your mind without relying relying on sight gags or a set to establish a location. You have to verbally establish the location or use sound to establish a location, for example. So yeah, it's a very different beast. But you've managed to create a number of streams of revenue as a writer and performer that has put you squarely in the center of the game. In fact, in the center of a number of separate production entities. So here's the thing. When I was in my mid-twenties, I had been doing theater sports and making okay money at it and doing weird little gigs like roving characters or, you know, dressing up as a mascot and getting beaten in the face by children. Uh, you know, other great gigs like that. And I realized I had purposely started like, okay, I'll do acting jobs, I'll do improv jobs, I'll do roving characters, I'll try and produce some of my own shows so that I don't have to wait for people to hire me. I got enough plates spinning when I was about 28 that I was able to finally look ahead six months, realize I had enough work booked that I could quit my day job. And I remember that moment I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth, thinking of the schedule. Okay, I'm going to do two, you know, I've got two months of Dotto's Data Cafe, this tech show that I used to do where I was the comedic sidekick. Great, I got that. Then I'm doing a tour for theater sports. Then I've got this other thing. And I realized, oh, I don't have to waitress anymore. And the moment I made that decision, I worked so hard to make sure I never had to go back to waitressing. Didn't help that I burned that bridge real bad <laughs> with that restaurant too. I was just like, just, I am out of here. <laughs> And, uh, and so I took, you know, I did a lot of background work to pay the bills. I just, it was really, really tough. 
and it was really lean for a good solid five years, but I could say that I made a living as an artist. It was what I loved to do, so I would do anything arts related, not to go back to waitressing or to the day job that sucks all your joy. But yet, did you learn anything from your day job that actually helped you become a better writer and a better actor? Well, what I learned from waitressing was that I really like making people happy. And it was the thing that I still kind of miss about waitressing is if you come in for the night, I like that I'm the one who's making or breaking your your night a lot of the times. And it's what I like about comedy. What waitressing taught me was that do your job well. Don't bring your own problems to the table. You're responsible for other people's experience. So make it a good one. And that translated well to my writing. And as a business person in comedy, it means show up on time. It means return emails. It means return phone calls. Like run yourself like you are your own business. And you will get so much further ahead than a lot of your counterparts just simply by getting back on email and doing what you say you're going to do. And you can still be creative, but still be able to return a phone call in a timely manner. And a lot of creative folks forget that. They think that, oh, I don't have to worry about the business side of things. But man, when you're hanging a shingle outside of your door saying, I am an actor, I am a writer, I am an improviser, or I am a creator, there's a business to that as well. And if you can learn the business and be creative, you're going to launch yourself ahead of so many other people that just are creative and flaky. And notwithstanding that reference that you absolutely wrecked <laughs> at, the, at the restaurant, there's there's that aspect of be nice to people. Yeah, be kind. You always see people in this industry who seem to get ahead and they're jerks. But I learned pretty quickly that I used to work with a few people that I thought were irreplaceable and I had to put up with their nonsense. I realized, oh no, there's a lot of really good people out there that can do that same job and they might do it a little bit different but I would rather work with good people who are kind and talented and can return a phone call than somebody who is a brilliant genius who's a jerk to be around and who you're never going to get an email back from. We've talked about that before, the restaurant experience notwithstanding, and encourage people not to put up with unsavory or unsafe or unhappy conditions. I don't think anyone is so desperate for work that you can't summon up the guts to fire a client or fire your boss, or fire yourself. Announce to them that I'm obviously not doing it right for you, so I'm taking myself off the project. And when you're younger, it's a hard thing to figure out, is am I not doing a good job or are they not doing a good job? And I think when you're younger, you have to go through those experiences of having a terrible boss or being in a terrible scenario, because it it teaches you what you will and won't put up with. You can't have a perfect working environment if you don't know what a terrible one looks like. I honestly believe that you have to sometimes go through these awful experiences to go, oh, well, come out the other side of it and realize, oh, it wasn't me. It was that person. Or sometimes it's you. Like I've worked on scenarios where I went, yeah, that was me. I was too needy or I was too high strung or I was too insecure. And it made me stronger coming out of it because I could look back and see, "Mm, okay, I see the mistakes that I made. Don't do it again. And I've been in scenarios too, where I've been the only female comedy person in a room. And it was a very passive aggressive work environment, which I don't deal with well. I'm quite blunt and straightforward and I don't have a lot of ego attached to my work. So I had a really hard time with that because I couldn't figure out, is this because I'm the woman in the room and they don't respect me because I'm a female comedian? 
Or is this because it's a passive aggressive work environment and I can't handle passive aggressive? I think it might be still a little column A, a little column B on that one. Now, Diana, there's this other topic that I like to get into with a lot of our guests. This this whole idea of the starving artist versus the Hollywood star who's knocked it out of the park. But really, there's this vast zone in the middle of people who are earning a good living and they're happy at what they're doing and it's all good. Yeah, and I think that that space in the middle is, are you doing this because you love to do it and you just want to have a happy life? Or are you doing it because you're, you are seeking fame and attention and accolades? There's a real difference between those things. I realized pretty young that I love making people laugh for a living and I don't care if I ever get famous. I think when I was younger, I did think I wanted fame and now I realize that um, I like being able to be part of an awesome creative situation and the paycheck is nice too, (laughs) but I don't need to, um, I don't need to be the person in front of the camera who's walking a red carpet. I love the fact that I can make a living doing what I love to do. Great thoughts. Hey, Fred, anything else that needs to be said before we wrap up? I just want to thank Diana for sharing what she did with us. She's been incredibly open and honest and frank, and that's what our listeners need to hear. There is one other thing I wanted to say. One of the things that I think was unique about my experience becoming a working creative person was that I came from a background where it wasn't great. I grew up in a childhood that was really quite terrible. And at 18, I made a decision, which was, I'm not going to be a victim of my circumstances. I'm going to take responsibility for my actions and make my life happy. And it's really easy to attribute your failure to your past. But I think it's a bolder, stronger choice to attribute your success to your choice to be happy. One of the bonuses of all of this was that I, because I kind of had to walk away from family for quite a few years, I didn't have anybody expecting me to be a doctor or a lawyer or have a fallback plan. I got to just do what I love to do because I didn't have to answer to anybody. So I understand that sometimes people don't feel like they can be creative because "Mm, my dad wants me to be an accountant or follow in the family business. So I recognize that I had a a unique experience there. But if you are working insane hours doing a job that you don't love and it's taking all of your energy, but you're doing it because you think it's going to give you the money to be able to do what you love to do on your time off and your weekends, I guarantee you, you will never do what you love because you will not have that energy. It'll be sucked out of you because 80% of your time is spent doing something you don't love to do. To hell with the money. (laughs) Go back to being broke and do what you love to do because you as a person will be happier and that will, in general, make people around you happier and will attract happier people to you and you will eventually succeed. A, thank you for sharing that. We appreciate it. And B, thank you for also pointing out the difference between, although our series is called Monetizing Your Creativity, there are more types of currency than coin. Yeah, yeah. I would rather live on $40,000 a year, but have an amazing quality of life with great people around me doing what I love to do, than make $200,000 a year and be miserable. Well said. Thanks for joining us, Diana. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.